And we have just completed Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And as I've been mentioning for quite some time now, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are basically chapters without a command. Chapters without an imperative, if you want to use that voice of grammar. And, and I believe it's purposeful from Paul. Because what he has done is just heap and heap and heap upon the Ephesians and upon us all these wonders and glories and blessings that we have in Christ. Reaffirming and re-embracing through Jesus the love that God has for us. Uh, so that we, as we're getting ready to now be guided by the commands of this letter, to recognize that these commands are only given in the context of a God who thinks that you're all that. That you've got what it takes, you're really a big deal, and He loves you as His own. This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He says about Jesus, and as we are incorporated into Jesus, that same love, that same kindness, a God who loves you, a God who actually likes you, looks at you and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. I love you. And anyway, I even like you, even though you may wonder about that. But it is interesting that, that Titus 2, when it says, when the love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. That, that phrase, when the love and kindness really does speak of a God who loves you and a God who likes you. At our worst. Not at this moment. At our worst. So that at this moment, we can feel that much more secure that this God, for sure, if he, if he kind of had me then, he still got you now. And, and now we kind of move to the real pivot verse. And we're going to look at just one verse today. And it'll still take a while. Just one verse today, as we look at this connection to the rest of the letter. Let's pray together, and we will continue, not very far into, our study of Ephesians. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that we sit here, having been embraced and affirmed by your love. That we don't have to wonder, that we don't have to try to jump higher, perform better, to think that perhaps you'll hug us tighter, that you could not hug us any tighter, embrace us any more warmly, sing over us, love us, lavish your grace upon us, give us your very spirit to empower us, to give us confidence, to give us bold access to you at any time. Thank you, God, that this is our covenant. This is where we stand. This is where we are right now. And with that kind of significance, having been called by nothing less than your glorious significant calling, we now stand on the edge of this great letter that you've inspired, now looking towards, what is it, Lord? What is it that you would have us do? Help us to be able to see this path and to love the clarity that you give us of knowing your will and seeing how it is that we can live in alignment with your will, our Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we are in Ephesians 4. Uh, I've got it here in the ESV up on the board. I, therefore... Obviously, it's Paul writing to them. I, therefore, and the therefore is pointing to chapters 1, 2, and 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, and that's the word parakaleo. It's the word that, that means who Jesus was when he comes alongside you and grips you by the shoulder, gives you the you can do it water boy speech at that very moment. 
You can do it. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And every now and again, when there's something important like this, Paul doubles up on the words. Remember the big pivot point back in, in Ephesians chapter 2? When, when there he says, And God, because of his great love for you, with which he loved you. So in these important moments like this, he does kind of do this doubling of, of the significance of what's coming our way. So because of his love with which he loved you, he looks at you as that kid in the corner of the playground who has been passed over time and time again. And his gaze with love and with kindness falls on you. And you thinking, not me, I'm not worthy, what have I got, what can I offer, ah, not, not me. And he looks at you and says, it's exactly you. It is exactly you. And I am calling you to nothing less than glory. And others who around you from a worldly perspective have this sense that they've now been called to a life of significance. Well, many years from now, when all things are settled, they will realize what it is that they missed and what it is that you made sure that you held on to. The most significant, the most glorious calling that you can ever receive. And it's yours. And you're empowered in the midst of it by the grace of God, by the very spirit of Christ who now dwells within you. And and the title of the lesson today is Grit versus Grace. Because now having given us this calling... We now then will launch into chapters 4, 5, and 6. Let me just give you a little smattering of chapter... This is just chapter 4. And, and it's very easy, after having been astounded by the grace of God, being compelled by the love of God, to suddenly zero in with blinders on into any of these passages that are so familiar to us. And, and I think if... If we were to take a poll before we had begun the letter of Ephesians, and, and I, I asked you to identify what book of the Bible certain verses were in, verses throughout 4, 5, and 6, whether it's husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands, children obey your parents, fathers do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training of the Lord. Uh, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or any kind of greed, but rather thanksgiving. Uh, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit which you were sealed. You pick it. Of, of Those verses, so many of those, you would have been like, that's in Ephesians. But if I had given you many, many, many of the verses that we just studied in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you would have been like, ah, Romans maybe, uh, <laughs> Hebrews. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, why? Because, this is true of, of, of almost everybody, no matter kind of what your stripe of Christianity is, it's a lot easier just to look at a very clear command of the will of God and just say, I'm going to get on it. And, and amen for that, because he's not giving us these commands for nothing. This is his revealed will. This is what pleases God. But here's the danger of it. Do we go right to it and think, aha, here's what I can do to finally be pleasing to God. 
Or here's what I do because I'm already pleasing to God. And it's a big, big difference. But, but think about the challenges here. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with him or her. I don't say one another. I think I want you to think of the him or the her when you hear this. Be patient and bear with him. Yes, him. In love. Put away lies, that one, and speak only truth. Never steal, including digital properties. Work hard at honest work. Share with others. This kind of sounds like everything I needed to know in life I learned in kindergarten. Uh, no, no unwholesome talk. Only talk that builds others up. How about this? Get rid of all your bitterness, your rage, and your anger, your brawling, and your malice. Never slander anyone. Be kind and compassionate to her or to him. Forgive him. Forgive her. To what degree? Just as Christ forgave you. That's a pretty high bar. And to just jump into the Bible right here without the perspective that Paul gave, it's very easy for us to lose sight of what the Ephesians heard. They only heard this after having heard what Paul just declared in so many glorious words just a few minutes earlier. And for the most part, they would have heard it read at their church services. They would have heard it read publicly in different aspects. I want to, I want to take this exercise with us for a moment. And before we think about what it is to live a life worthy of the calling with which you were called, is to simply hear again who we are in chapters 1, 2, and 3. I think Kirk may have even done some of this too, but it bears repeating. Uh, and, and by the way... As if this, by the time that Paul says this to them, and by the time as they sit in rapt attention, as the letter is read in their church, it's only been five minutes and 35 seconds since the letter had begun. So it's not as though every spiritual blessing in Christ, having been adopted and called and predestined and uh, made holy, all of that that we read back in chapter one, it's not as that that's ancient history that was maybe just five minutes and 17 seconds ago. So it's all still kind of not just ringing in their ears, but really swelling their hearts and, and just kind of piling on with more and more blessing. And just as they're like, oh, this is for us overflowing with gratitude and amazement of all this has been given to us. And, and then just at that right moment, as Paul breaks into the doxology that that um, uh, Kirk looked at last week, which is like mad flow praising God. To him who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his purpose that has worked within us. To, be, to, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And, and now after having kind of culminated all that we are with that prayer, he then comes to the pivot point. This pivot point of, of the verse that we look at. Okay, now that you got all that, now that that's all clear, time to live a life that actually reflects who you really are. And we're going to get busy because we are very blessed people. And we're not just no one. We are the very workmanship of God. 
We're not saved by works, but we're also not saved from works. But we are saved for works. What am I trying to say? <laughs> Edit mark. We are not saved by works. And we are not saved from works. Did I say that the first time? But we are saved for works. Boy, it didn't sound so good. But it was right. That was going to be like in a passionate point. You all have been like, yeah, yeah, amen. So, all right. Now, as, as we get ready to kind of sit in their seats and hear the glorious call that you are very, you're a very big deal. You're a big deal in Christ. And by the way, you are God's plan A for the world. And he has no plan B. There's no propaganda leaflets coming from heaven. It's just you. And you are a big deal. How big a deal? Well, they would have just heard it. I want to take, I'm reading from a version that won't take five minutes and 45 seconds as the NIV does, but I'm going to read from the, uh, the message just to hit us from a different angle. Uh, and, and this is a, a bit of a kind of a looser translation, but I want you to just listen and be astounded that this is exactly who you are. How blessed is God? What a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ. He takes us to high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his very beloved son. And because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties, free of punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans that he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye already on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the very Holy Spirit. This signet ring from God is the first installment of what's coming your way. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and I'd give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask. I now ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, 
to make you wise and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust in him. Endless energy, boundless strength for all. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead and set him on a throne in deep heaven. In charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power, exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He's got the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules us, the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy, with an incredible love, he loved us embraced us he took our sin dead lives made us alive in christ he did all this on his own with no help from us then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in the company with jesus our messiah now god has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and next to shower grace and kindness upon us in christ jesus saving is all his idea all his work all we do is trust enough to let him do it. It's God's gift start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done it the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of all of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works and hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. But now because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you were once out of it altogether. And now you are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that now... We're together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down that wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals, and so he made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit, and we have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. 
You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to name with the name of Christian as anyone. God's building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all these parts together. We see it taping, taking shape day after day. We're a holy temple. We're built by God, and all of us are built into it. It is a temple in which God is quite at home here. That is why I, Paul, I'm in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over and what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his body, through his holy apostles and the prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who've never heard of God and those who've heard of him all their lives, insiders and outsiders, stand on the same ground before God. Get the same offer, the same help, the same promises, all in Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everybody all across the board. And this is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came to me as a sheer gift, a real surprise. God handled all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. But God saw to it that I was equipped. But you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am, preaching and writing about the things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosities of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created this all in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said. Bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be ready. My response is get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all of heaven and earth. And I ask him to strengthen you now in the spirit. His spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength. That Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite his work. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in what all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, reach out, experience the breath, test the length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything. You know it. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it, not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in Messiah, the Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all the millennia. Oh, yes, amen. And now, let's consider the calling to which we have been called. And the will that God has in store for us. 
And, and again, as we start to look at what it is that he has in store for us, we can get after. Even with this as our foundation, we can still kind of get myopic, focus in too small, and just get after things without the context of everything that was just read. And we can get about it by grit, where the basic pattern of grit is this. If I live well, therefore, I will then be worthy. And you can look at passages like, do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You know what? I was going to kind of say a little bit of a risque joke from Saturday Night Live that I saw last night as I was hanging out with Daniel. Not that he's receptive to that sort of thing. But now, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to build up Daniel. And as a result, God's going to love me more. That's, that's the approach of grit. I'm not saying that like it's right. But you were along for the ride as though it was right. But every single time that we put the cart before the horse, we undermine the very engine room that God has placed within us. A deep appreciation, a fire burning within the boiler room of our soul to be able to produce in us the works that are resultant, not, not the works that stoke the fire. But because the fire is already stoked by the grace of God, the boiler's going and the parts are moving. The parts starting moving don't get the fire going. When the parts are moving without re re reliant upon grace or that fire, it just gets exhausted and it actually puts out the fire. Again, cart before the horse. And if, if our approach to Christianity is like, well, you know, if all else fails, I'm, I'm just going to do the right thing. Amen. Every time that we align ourselves with the will of God, it's not as though your life's going to come tumbling down. And no matter what, we're going to obey. I, I pray that that's the case. Like that's default. We will obey the Lord. But do you want to do it out of duty or do you want to do it? Out of bounty? Do you want to do it out of grit? Do you want to do it because you finally decided to take the time to really allow grace to wash over your soul and help you to appreciate that while you were way more disgusting and defiled than you could have ever imagined, you are now more glorious and beautiful and lovely and desirous in the sight of God than you could even begin to ask. And, and, and thus you are. The, the opposite to, to this kind of grinded out approach, which ultimately will burn you out. At, at some point, there'll be a crisis. It'll come. And then we'll kind of have the retreat. And we'll have the serious talk. And we'll try to kind of reclaim you from the, the ash heap of duty. And, and, and help you to get back into this place where everything that we do is as though we're walking on sunshine. Because we got Jesus affirming and loving us alongside of us. I love you. You can do this to, to be able to encourage us every step of the way. Amen. And the opposite of, of this whole approach is grace. I am worthy. Therefore, I will live well. I am worthy. Therefore, I will live well. It is exactly the structure of this letter that we've been studying. You want to see what it looks like? As the result of, of Ephesians, 
It looks like this. Ephesians 1, 2, 3. You are worthy. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Therefore, and verses five, chapters 4, 5, and 6, you will live well. And who doesn't want to live well? Who doesn't want to live in alignment with the will of God? Who isn't excited to know that my Father who loves me so dearly has now made it very plain, even to somebody like me, exactly what living a good life looks like. Thank you, Father. And thank you for not only freeing me from a life that wouldn't even make it possible to live this out, but, but now equipping me to live a life like this, to be able to live this out. And, and everything that we just read affirmed where you are. I, I, I feel like when I read this, that I, I grew up, among many of my other sins, going to the horse track, like all through high school. I mean, anytime I got a few extra bucks, went, went to see the ponies running. Mammoth Park in, 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 uh, in New Jersey, the Garden State. Uh, but the, the, one thing, the one thing that I loved is if it was a horse that I was betting on, to see him just like so agitated in the gate. He's, you know, like, come on, let's, let's get this race going. Like, come on, is this, is this, is this thing going to open? What's going on here? But that's how I feel when I read chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's like, okay, God, you know what? You had me at your blessed. Right. What do I get to do? What are you preparing me for? This is incredible. You've really, you've done all this for me? And now, like, as soon as that starting gate's up, man, let's do it. Let's let people know about Jesus. Let's let people know about this love. Let me get into one another's life and be able to help and strengthen somebody else. So they likewise can know the beauty of this truth. That, you know, and, and as soon as you hear that bell and that gate open, that's chapter 4, verse 1. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1 is, is ding, 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 ding. Gate is open. Church, let's go. <laughs> We've got work to do. And it's not earning us nothing. It's just the natural outpouring of everything that has come our way. Uh, Deb and I... I had a, a girl in our ministry when we were in Charlottesville before we moved here. And uh, she was a UVA student, brilliant girl. But some brilliant people sometimes can be um, deficient in other areas of their life. Like driving. And, and she, I'm out of breath just from like jumping twice. This is bad. But she, she uh, as the semester was ending, she was so excited because she had scored a really great internship. She was a kind of a brilliant engineer to be and you know, heading in that direction. But she had scored a, a really great internship up in Northern Virginia. She gets to live at home uh, and, and have the internship that she wanted. But just before she went home for, for, for the summer, she was kind of driving around. And it was kind of always kind of like the word on the street among the church. Like, if you need a ride, maybe not with her. <laughs> Anyway, as we kind of speculated, it, it, it was even that week that she had a crash, wrecked and totaled her car. Now, it wasn't a very nice car, but nonetheless, she needed that car to, to get to the internship uh, because it was a section of Northern Virginia where, you know, the metro barely gets to, to where they were. Um, but, but she really did need that. She was like, ah, she was in anguish. 
and you know, she, she kind of you know, called home, and they were like super disappointed, uh, trying to figure out what they were going to do. And, you know, and her mom then basically said, well, you know, I, I guess you're going to have to use my car. She's like, well, what are you going to do? She's like, I don't know, I'll make do or something, or um, you know, may, maybe when, when you get back, or maybe I'll drive you in on some days. So anyway, she gets home, and, and, and they work it out, and you know, she kind of gets a little upgrade to mom's car. And she starts driving to work there. But, brilliant girl, bless her heart. You know what comes after bless her heart? <laughs> wasn't too many days in where she wasn't paying attention. Maybe there was some kind of algorithm dancing in her head. And she wrecked her mom's car. She totaled her mom's car. And... After she gets home from the wrecker and all of that, she tells her mom about it. Her mom's face falls. It's not a delightful conversation, to say the least. And, and her mom just says, well, you know what? Um, maybe you should just wait upstairs, and um, your dad will be home in a little bit. He and I are going to talk, and uh, we, we need to, to really kind of figure out uh, what, what it is that we do about all this. And so she's upstairs just, you know, sobbing and besides herself. She can't believe that she's kind of, you know, been just so um, negligent, really, with, with, with things that have been entrusted to her by her family. And she hears her father, you know, her father has a, a new, new car, a new Buick, and he, he pulls up to the house, and it's unmistakable sound, and, and that's when she's like, oh. And, um, and, he, and he, he, you know, he hears the door, she hears the door shut, Here's a couple loud tones, but then they become hushed tones. And, and she's, you know, even that's more unnerving because she has no idea what is, what, what is being said during this entire time. And then she just sits on the edge of her bed and hears her dad's big heavy feet coming up the steps. And she's like, humana, humana, humana. Uh, trying to control her bottom lip. And he, uh, he comes in, and he, and he looks at her, and he says, um, you know, your mom and I just talked. And uh, I heard that not only, you know, the car that we sacrificed so that you could have at college, but now your mother's car. And you wrecked that as well. And she's like, oh, I'm going to pay for it. He's like, you need to hear me out. You know, your mother and I talked, and this is not a good situation at all. But we've, we've come up with a solution. I'm going to let you have my car for the summer. She said, well, what are you going to do? Said, I'm going to take the bus. She's like, but that's like two buses. He says, I know. It's like an extra hour. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the bus. And I trust. It's your girl. It's my daughter. And I, and I know you've got a good head on your shoulders. And I love you. And I know you're going to do right with this and it was so uncomfortable for her no but let me do this let me do that you know she 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 just it was just too much to kind of receive that kind of grace but you know what that girl drove like a driving instructor <laughs> the rest of that summer you know on days when it was rainy and maybe she'd have an excuse because it was rainy out you know she'd picture her dad there under the umbrella at the bus stop, waiting for the bus. And she's just kind of cruising into work on, on that day, uh, day in and day out, knowing that, you know, dad, dad got up early, you know, off he went. And, and here I am, 
just kind of listening to tunes. Oh, wait, I better turn down the radio. I don't want to be distracted. This, listening to tunes in an appropriate manner and, and now really valuing. Valuing what it is that, that um, her parents valued in her. And, and not only did her parents affirm how they felt about her, that she was their daughter, whom they loved, and whom they were so proud, but, but also that they knew that she would do right. And they knew right, they knew so well that they actually even entrusted her with the last of, of really what was their, their possessions in that, in that area. And that was not missed on her. That's the gospel that you've received. That's the father that you feared coming into your bedroom who has sat down with you and says, you know, I love you. And I'm going to entrust you and I'm going to call you to the most significant thing that I could ever imagine calling you to. And sure, you may have messed this up a bunch of times, but I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm redeeming you with the blood of my son. And I'm giving you something even more important. I'm giving you the keys to the car. I'm calling you to be my witnesses, to be my workmanship. I'm giving you the responsibility and entrusting you because I know that you're going to do right. Because I know that you value what it took for you to have this kind of a significant life. And I'm giving you the mission to do nothing less than be my representatives to a world that I also love. And to help them all know me. Why? Because I know that you've got what it takes. Not in and of yourselves, but because of the grace that's been given to you and the appreciation of the gift that's been given to you. And I think as we now start to look at Ephesians 4.1 and we realize the calling to which we've been called, let it be likewise that we are both sobered and excited by the calling to which we have been called. That we have a God who thinks of us that special, that highly. And now the gates are about to open as we read through this letter. But the gates are always ready to be open in our life every single day. And as we get ready to really live out the great workmanship that is ours to live out, the significance of our life, here's the, the, the simple charge that I give you. Is every day this week, read again chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then ask yourself, how can I live out my significance today? And do it. Fresh and flush from this astounding love that God has poured out on you. And then let that gate open and let you shoot out of that gate. Empowered by nothing less than the love of the God who created all things and set his sights on you because he loves you and he likes you. And to be his workmanship, to be his special possession, to take on the very responsibility that is his in loving the world. Amen. Amen.